Welcome to episode number 25 of Just Go Grind, a show that focuses on helping you find a career you love, start a business, and make a bigger impact in your life. I'm Justin Gordon, your host and an MBA student in the class of 2020 at the USC Marshall School of Business. Had my hand in entrepreneurship and business since 2012 when I launched Just Go Fitness and now with Just Go Grind. In this episode, we have Michelle Payan, who is the owner of Commercial Investigations LLC, we just call it CI, which is a licensed private investigative agency, which she founded in 2004. They actually do business worldwide with small, medium-sized, and Fortune 500 companies, as well as nonprofits. We discuss all things entrepreneurship in this episode, talking about how she grew her company to the 20 employees they now have, how she overcame the recession, which actually she had to go from 14 to three employees to overcome that in business, so many challenges in business, and even how she eventually started Tick Enemy, her other company, after contracting Lyme disease. So, so many different valuable things in this episode. I hope you enjoy it. As always, the show notes are at justgogrind.com slash podcast. Support the show at patreon.com slash justgogrind. And in iTunes or Apple Podcasts, please leave a rating and review. Click subscribe. Without further ado, here is Michelle. Michelle, welcome to the show. Hi, Justin. Thanks for having me. Yeah, excited to have you on and talk about all things business, and it's going to be a lot of fun. Um, to start off, though, I'm just curious, could you tell us a little bit about what your company is, what you guys do, and we'll go from there. Sure. So in 2004, I started Commercial Investigations. So we're going to be 15 in early spring. Excited about that. Yes. <laughs> uh, so we're a licensed private investigative agency, and we focus on and specifically concentrate on background investigations. So it's like uh, background investigations for all your business needs. So if it's a mergers and acquisitions, a partnership, um, yeah, a board of directors position, something like that, um, we provide background investigations. Okay. And you mentioned 15 years is coming up on, which is, which is nuts. It seems like it's a long time. And like, I know you've had this for a while, but 15 years seems like a, a while. I'm wondering before you even started, like, what were you doing prior to starting uh, commercial investigations? Sure. So right before I had worked for the Healthcare Association of New York State, Haney's, and they wanted to offer background investigations to their members, but weren't sure how. So they hired me to get the program up and running, um, and I got it in the black in a couple of years, left after five years. Um, but I had done background investigations originally out of college, so that's how I knew how to do them for Haney's. Okay. So even back then, you knew even in college that was kind of what you wanted to do? Not really. I went to school oh. for pre-law, so okay. I wanted to be a lawyer. <laughs> and uh, I ended up doing an internship. So it, it's a trimester school. It's part of the University of Minnesota system called Winona State. So uh, they had the trimesters in your last trimester. You have to do an internship and you do it in a law firm because you go to school for pre-law paralegal studies. So, um, you know, I enjoyed my time there, but I just found it rather boring or cut and dry. <laughs> and um, I had taken a lot of investigative classes when going for my bachelor's degree. And so um, I had applied and uh, to some local private investigators, got a position, and he taught me everything, including background investigations. So right out of college, I learned background investigations. So, so why the, like, did you, did you have a feeling you would switch? I mean, going from like pre-law and then doing that, like, that wasn't obviously part of the plan originally. 
No, no, it was you know <laughs> pre-law, law school, that kind of stuff. You know, um, law school's pretty expensive, and yeah. um, you know, I knew I was going to have to uh, you know foot the bill or take out some uh, loans and stuff like that. And I just wasn't that interested after doing that internship. Um, but you know, then it's kind of like, well, what do you do if you don't <laughs> want to go to law school and you didn't really like working in a law firm? Um, so I applied to private investigative agencies and. Um, the original commercial investigations is where I worked right out of college. Okay, gotcha. And then from that too, I know eventually you went back to school to get an MBA. What spurred, like what what brought on that choice? Sure. So um, when I got out of college in the early 90s, uh, we hit a recession. So the private investigative work got a little slow and I went to uh, apply for other positions. So I actually applied to be a legal assistant at Wasa Insurance Company. And I got in there and um, that helped uh, me get the master's degree because they paid for educational degrees, which is, yeah, back then it was a little more prevalent, but still not totally prevalent um, versus today. But yeah, so um, I had, you know, gas back and forth between, uh, you know, Wasa and Stevens Point. And I had, think I had to pay for my books or something like that. So um, it really was a pretty sweet deal. Yeah, not too bad. I would have loved that type of option at USC. <laughs> USC would have been great. Uh, not quite the same. But I'm wondering in the MBA experience then, what were your, your biggest takeaways? Like, what, were, what was the value from the MBA for you? Just more exposure to business and the different angles, you know, finance and how that plays out. And then you've got marketing. And, you know, we did an interesting simulation during the marketing class we had and statistics and, you know, all the different areas, legal and human resources and just everything coming together. So, you know, that's what's involved in a, you know, entrepreneurial startup these days. You know, you got to know those different categories and how they all work together to, Uh, you know, be successful in being an entrepreneur. Yeah. And like, I'm definitely obviously in the MBA now and looking at what skills I can develop as I go on to different entrepreneurial ventures, obviously with Just Go Grind and who who knows what else may may come from that, I guess. Um, Going back to when you started your company and just like a little bit before then, the transition into starting your own company and was that like you you dove into, I'm curious about the transition, like did you dive into it full time? Like, or how long were you like working on the side and doing it or how, what, what happened when you actually went into your company? So I jumped in full force. And the reason I had to do that is to offer background investigations in New York state, you're required to be a licensed private investigative agency. So I can, you can only work for one private investigative agency at a time. Yeah. I had to go cold Turkey and do it. Um, and that was really tough, but you know, in the end, I'm glad I did, you know, you're a hundred percent focused um, during that time versus trying to run two gigs. Yeah. And that, that, that's something we're having. It's already hard enough, right. To, to run a company. <laughs> and I yeah. imagine that, yeah, it's, it's better to choose and then just go all in on that. And, and to that point, so when you, you started that, uh, was it just you in the beginning or was there anyone else with you? It was just me for almost the first year, you know, okay. maybe good. Yeah. Cause it was, you know, six months in, I was wondering, Ooh, you know, um, <laughs> What did I get myself into? What's going on? That kind of stuff. I really, you know, had to have a, a soul searching moment there. Um, but yeah. I uh, was pretty persistent and got it to where it is today. 
how did you, I mean, in, in the beginning there, because every you know, new business is trying to figure out whether you're know, getting clients or customers and, and everything like that, like, what types of things were you doing to, to get business and you know, get clients for that? Sure. Um, well, you know, money's tight, so there's not a lot of advertising to go on. And yeah. uh, back then, you know, social media was nothing like it is today back then. So you didn't have like the LinkedIn business accounts, stuff like that. Um, so basically, you know, I had a little bit going from reputation from my past work, but also then just networking local and talking to people, getting connections and just kind of working the face to face relationship establishing um, mechanism. Yeah. And did that did that change at all? Or was it just like as the as the business grew, was it just more of the same kind of like more relationship building, more doing just just more than as, as you get clients, I guess they maybe refer or like how did that happen as you as you continue to grow? Sure, sure. Um, you know, today referrals are a very big part of our business. And, you know, me and some business partners and employees worked doing the networking and getting things in that way. And and to that point, like obviously networking and doing and that, like, did you do anything to kind of facilitate more referrals or did you like, do people just kind of just kind of just happen naturally? They started telling people like, I, I was curious about that too. Right. Right. So, um, a lot of people started telling people and you know, one of the benefits is there's like a, um, national, uh, conferences. So we had clients in different industries go to national conferences and refer us to other companies in different industries. And, you know, that was really great. Um, but yeah, it was just a lot of, uh, networking, talking to people, relationship building. And, you know, after about four years, it started to um, really take off. Then then you saw the benefits of all the networking and stuff. I mean, it was slow and in between, but, you know, all of a sudden, four years later, you're getting a ton of referrals and, um, you know, it's, it's really great. Yeah, that's awesome. I mean, I, referrals are, the, I guess, one of the best things. You don't have to pay for them, ideally, mm-hmm. right? And then your customers grow organically that way. And to that point of, like, relationships, were, was there like a set way that you were keeping in contact with people or is it just like maybe you'd ping them every once in a while or how did, how did that happen? Uh, some people I kept in contact with email. So this is back in the day where like email <laughs> marketing or, you know, you had people's email addresses and stuff like that, but you didn't have LinkedIn again um, to give you, you know, to track people when they move versus uh, just having an email address at a company. But just kind of uh, that way, yeah, emails here and there. We did a newsletter very early on. Uh, one of the things we did is a newsletter every other month, and we tried to stick to that. And now uh, today the company does four a year. We do quarterly newsletters. Um, but that was like a really uh, helpful uh, addition to our marketing as well. Yeah, that's a big piece of it, especially yeah, for your current customers or potential like clients, I guess, just to stay in touch with them. And you mentioned a quarterly newsletter now. So what types of things are included in that quarterly newsletter? Sure. So we'll talk about compliance issues, issues related to background investigations and compliance changes. There's a lot of case law on occasion and following that and letting the clients know. Um, We have an ongoing storyline. It's our due diligence. So we created a character back in 2004, due diligence. And there's always an article in our newsletter with due, and it's a continuation (laughs) story. They build upon each other and stuff. Um, So it's it's a lot of fun, but it lets us highlight the realities of a background check and and what happens before and after and during the process. So depending upon what we want to touch on, if we want to talk about drug testing and that process and stuff, um, we create a a storyline around it. But uh, the newsletter 
you know, really helps us from that storyline. So like practical implications of background investigations, you know, then some compliance things, and then always like a, a spotlight of what's happening in the industry, even if it's not compliance, like social media searches are big or federal criminal searches are big. And here's why type of thing. Yeah. Oh, I gotcha. That makes sense. And, and with, with that, like, you mentioned like the different things that are going on in the industry. Where are you learning that? Are you, is there certain like resources you're going to? Are you going to conferences to learn these things like uh, people you follow or where are you going to kind of stay up to date on everything? Sure. So fortunately, um, about 15, 16 years ago, uh, the National Association of Professional Background Screeners was created and they provide an annual and a mid-year conference. So it's a great opportunity to talk to your vendors, to go to educational sessions and things like that. So um, that's the big uh, focus of our compliance and, you know, staying on top of things with industry contacts. We don't really belong to any of the like private investigative associations and stuff like that because we're so specialized with the niche of background investigations. Yeah, and and with the background investigation, so are companies coming to you and they just know they want this, or they are, are they coming to you and like, oh, I want to know like more about you? I'm curious on like how you like are closing deals. You know what I mean with different clients. Mm -hmm. Sure. So this day and age, uh, you know, probably 85% of employers do background investigations. So it's not a lot of like want to know more about background investigations. They may want to know more about us and why we're unique, whether we're, you know, a certified uh, woman owned business. Uh, we offer cyber investigations, which a lot of companies don't. And we have a special high end drug test. So different things like that, that may pique their interest where they may be considering changing from a current vendor to perhaps commercial investigations. And you said cyber investigations. Can you like elaborate on what that is and why maybe other businesses aren't doing that as much as you guys are? Sure. So a cyber investigation is um, an online search of a person's presence. So it's okay. not just social media. It's also uh, PDFs. It gets into the deep web a little bit and things like that. So, um, and we've got different levels depending upon what the client wants, if they want positive things or negative things or both about a person, you know, what they're looking for in their candidates and things like that. Uh, but the cyber investigation is really a nice look of a person's presence online. And okay. uh, we were one of the first companies we just jumped on and we said, well, we're going to do this and this, this is how we're going to do it. So we were one of the first companies in the industry to offer something like that. Okay. And, and with that, like, how do you establish, like, I guess how, how far to dig or how, how, you know, how deep to go within that? Cause I imagine you could just get lost in the, the internet web for a while doing that. We were just having a conversation the other day about that, Justin. <laughs> um, yeah, you can really get lost. Like, okay. So we started in 2006 offering cyber investigations. Okay. So you go on somebody's Facebook uh, profile or back then MySpace profile. Ah, uh, yes, MySpace. <laughs> and and you've got what you know MySpace maybe a year. This is 2006 again, maybe a year history that kind of stuff. Okay, so we establish these parameters and do this. Well, just the other day we we're talking. Well, you know, it's it's like you know 10 years plus worth of data that we're going through now. <laughs> now with a yeah. lot of our clients, we you know a lot of our clients will just say we're going to go back 10 years. But, you know, that's a lot more today than it was when we first started offering the search. So it is pretty time consuming, um, but we do our best with that. 
Yeah. So it depends on the parameters that maybe the client sets. So if they say 10 years, obviously you're going 10 years. Otherwise you just keep doing as much as you can, I guess. Um, I'm just imagining in my head right now, like searching and being like, oh my gosh, how many pages of Google are there? Like how many different things are going back in their profiles? It just seems like it could be, could be a lot potentially. <laughs> it could be, it could be. But with all the other searches we do, so we're doing criminal records, sex offender, different types of searches. And generally our clients will choose a 10 year uh, time frame. So then we carry that over to all the different searches and we will talk to them about, uh, you know, limiting it and why and uh, the nuances of that. And then they can decide how limiting they want to be. But we always have that conversation up front because, yeah, we have to control our labor costs. <laughs> exactly. I'm setting expectations for what the client actually wants. And I'm sure it depends on, yeah, wh who the client is and really what, who you're researching, I suppose. Um, and, and as you've grown over time, you mentioned like at four years, it really kind of kept growing more. Like how have you grown your team over time? Is that something where looking at different entrepreneurs and as, as the company grows, the team is so important because that's how you can get more time for yourself as the entrepreneur, but then also help the business grow and find the right culture. So like, how have you just approached that over time and growing your team? Sure. So um, that's tough. You know, the human aspect of business is tough. Um, I've been fortunate and I've really grown my team um, through internal promotions. Now, it's hard in our industry unless you're going to relocate somebody. But even then, everybody does things a little different and we're a service-based business. So it's really hard to get anybody who knows our industry. So yeah. we found it very successful to promote from within. Okay, promoting from within, and then so I guess that's how you're promoting. Where like when you're when you're looking for like new people on your team, I mean just like typical, are you posting like a LinkedIn thing for jobs? Or, like I I'm just curious from your perspective how you've actually found people to even to even join the team. Sure. So um, we use Indeed. And uh, we will post on LinkedIn and we're hiring that kind of stuff and, and link to Indeed. Um, but we'll put it on Indeed. We do have a career page on our website and people will find that sometimes. Um, as well as, um, let's see, Indeed, we use assessments and other things. Um, but really, you know, one of the other things, Justin, is there's a lot of schools in our area that have criminal justice programs. And so the schools uh, put out a lot of uh, good individuals with a good background in the criminal area of what we do. So that's been really beneficial, too. Do you do any internship type of stuff, too? I'm just curious. We do. We do. And we just uh, had an intern go part time because she's got to finish her last year of school. And then we're hoping uh, she'll come on full time after that. So we've had a lot of internships lead to employees and usually a couple year employees, you know, um, more like a two year employee uh, versus somebody who might not have done an internship that could be a lot less. So, you know, they know what they're getting into, I guess, and they know um, the type of work while they're doing the internship. Uh, but we have um, a lot of uh, different types of internships that we'll do too. We'll do like a finance one or we'll do a human resource one and things like that as well, just to help us in those areas of the business as well. Yeah. And with the internship program, so one thing I think is any, any business I guess could have, especially if they have schools in the area like that internship seems like a really good way to get like a pipeline of people into your company, uh, depending obviously on what size company you are. But uh, with those interns are like, is there someone that's just overseeing interns or like when they come on board, is there like just a person in their department just kind of help them out? Like how does that process kind of work generally speaking? We'll do a person in the department to help them out and, and we'll identify, um, 
you know, is this person's degree in line with uh, doing criminal record searches or, oh, were we doing finance and this is a finance uh, major and stuff like that. So we'll make sure they get the most appropriate staff member to benefit them and what their major is. Okay. Yeah. That, ma- that makes a lot of sense. And then obviously like, you've grown over time and grown the team. Um, how big is your team now? Just curious. So I think we're right around 20 employees right now. Okay. So 20 employees. And I guess from the perspective of like you, so is it more, what is your role now, I guess, in terms of like your day to day and are you like managing people more or closing deals, trying to find new work? Like how do you spend your time each day in the business? Yeah, sure. Um, I should spend more time each day in the business trying to get new work, but sometimes, <laughs> you know, the, the day to day gets in the way. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, you know, I really try to do, a leadership as coach style to my management. Uh, but there are times I just need to manage a product project or times when I really need to do a coaching moment and help somebody learn and help them do better. Um, so, you know, my days today are, you know, drastically different than 10 years ago. There's more people and more of the educational coaching leadership stuff that needs to happen. Yeah. And I guess throughout your day then, what does maybe a typical day like look like for you? And I'm sure like, now this question, I'll give you a little time to answer this question. Like I'm, I'm curious always on like what the actual work is at a company, whether it's someone working in a big company, a small company, uh, entrepreneur. And I'm sure for you as an entrepreneur, Michelle, it's, I'm sure it's always different potentially, but like if you could walk me through maybe a typical day and like what you're spending time on, I'm, I'm really curious about that. Mm-hmm. Sure. So I actually did an exercise uh, through one of the articles I read at one point in time, but it was like, what's your ideal day? And it's like, that's interesting to try to lay out your ideal day. Now, no matter how much I strive, you know, I, I don't get there. But, you know, I, I found so, you know, you read these things about um, learn to you know get to know yourself and figure out when you're most productive and things like that. You know, I'd like to like get all my stuff with other people out of the way and have time in the afternoon to think. But then I found that that really wasn't when I was the most productive and it wasn't necessarily a good way for me. Now, this took me years. It's it's only been the last few years or so where I really realized that, you know, the morning is when I'm more into the creativity, the innovative um mindset and things like that. So I like to now keep the mornings to myself because I've shown that that's my more productive time. Yeah. You know, in, by the time the afternoon rolls around, I'm tired of being alone and I want to do some collaboration. <laughs> yeah, I, I, feel, I feel like when thinking of ideal day, that seems like kind of where I skew towards, like, you know, saving the mornings for whether it be writing or um, something creative. And then like later on, it's easier to one, be with people, but also just do those tasks like later in the day that you're, you're more tired and maybe that'd be emailing, maybe a, editing, if, depending on how easy that edit may be. Um, and I think everyone has to kind of find that that type of thing for them. It's like, uh, there was an article, I think it was a Harvard, Harvard business review article of, uh, it's like manage your energy, not your time. And it's like knowing like when you have more energy versus not, and then uh, aligning kind of the task and how you structure your day around that. So I think it's, I think it's very important to kind of have some type of schedule with that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's interesting. You mentioned Harvard business review. Um, that's one of my favorite publications and I've been reading it, uh, man, since like, 
I don't know, 20, 20 years ago. And I subscribed today. And, uh, you know, there's just a great amount of information in there. And you can, you know, pop the executive summary up on some of them to get through quickly because some of them can be longer. But, you know, if you're just struggling with, uh, you know, a certain area of business and you go to the Harvard Business Review and put a couple keywords in, you can get some really great resources. Yeah. And to that point, I mean, uh, what other resources in terms of uh, whether it be books or uh, like other pu- publications or anything else that's kind of helped you as an as an entrepreneur and business leader? Mm-hmm. Uh, so I travel, you know, once or twice a month. I love to pick up, uh, you know, Inc. Fortune, uh, you know, some of those magazines. Um, I I do love to read business books and. Um, I'm working through one now about, you know, relationships and, and how to make more of online relationships. And I just got it. Haven't really even cracked the cover, but that's my next business book. So I like books. I like the articles. Um, I do listen to some podcasts. Um, of course, I listen to yours and I think they're great. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I'm also a musician. So then I struggle with, you know, my time in the car. Sometimes I like to just jam jam to music. So yes, that's a good point. Like I even like for workouts and stuff, I always think of, you know, being productive, I say in air quotes, and listening to like a podcast versus sometimes you just want some good songs on while you work out and just not think about anything related to like business at times just to get a break. But um, yeah, I imagine I go back and forth on that. So I'm sure if you're very into music as well, that would be challenging to listen to podcasts. Yeah. Well, and you know, this is your area of expertise. Does somebody get a better workout if they're listening to fast (laughs) music versus watching a show or listening to a podcast? That's a good question. Here's what I have a few thoughts next. So right away. Um, First off, if you're depends on the thing. So I know that like, faster tempo music can definitely help get your energy up per se. Um, And more or less just say like hype music. Uh, And then also though, I think that helps as well. And like, I think more for like cardio, like running and stuff. But then I've also talked to people and kind of been aware of my own thing. If I'm listening to like an audio book or a podcast, I tend to be able to run longer because I just want to hear more of it. And I'm like, oh, well, I'll just keep running because I want to listen to the rest of this podcast. Whereas if it's music, I tend to run less. So I think it's okay. very anecdotal, but for each person, they can figure it out. But I've noticed with myself, and like I said, I've talked to some other people about this and they, they've mentioned very similar that like they'll do longer runs and stuff with audiobooks or podcasts. Um, so I guess it depends on the person, but that's definitely something to consider when you're working out and figuring that out. Yeah, definitely. With with commercial investigations, you've grown it into a very successful, very successful company over time, but I'm sure there have been challenges and you know struggles and any entrepreneur goes through different different struggles and growing a business is by no means easy. Uh, I'm just curious if you if you have one or two particular challenges or struggles that you've been through to get to, get to where you are now? Well, um, something hopefully we don't encounter anytime again soon was the recession in 2008, 2009. That was uh, very challenging, uh, trying to control costs and staffing and, you know, everything that costs money and uh, trying to survive um, in that environment. So that was really challenging. Um what did you do then? I mean, during that time, so the recession, you mentioned that controlling costs and, and everything there. Did you just have to like scale back and just really evaluate the company? Or like, do you remember kind of what you did at that point in time? Yes, yes. Um, scale back, we, um, 
you know, certain things we couldn't pay for, like, um, and we didn't have the staff to attend anymore, like the um, chamber events and things like that. So um, looked at the financials and, you know, watched them closely and just really determined, you know, yeah, where can we cut costs that isn't going to start to involve staff? But eventually it did. It just got really bad. And uh, we had had 14 employees and we went down to three with me being one of them. Um, so that was a really tough time and it was a really, a quite a rebuild. What was helpful for you like during that time? Obviously the rebuild, you had to cut down, uh, and then you grew back up cause you're at, you know, 20 employees now. Um, uh, what, mm-hmm. what kept you going through that just survival mode? Like what was it? Yeah, definitely. You kick into that survival mode. So, I mean, you stop doing different things. And I know they say, you know, don't stop doing different things, but you just don't know what's going to happen and you don't know when the next dollar is going to come in. So, yeah, just um, perseverance, you know, really believing, you know, one of the benefits we had is we didn't lose clients. Our clients stopped hiring. So we knew if we could weather the storm, we should be good. So that was, you know, kind of like the saving grace, like the clients are waiting for us, you know, they'll be, you know, we just got to, you know, go along with them and help them through this and deal with it. So it was tough. Um, It was very interesting. And, you know, I'm very fortunate to be where I am today and our customer loyalty and everything has really benefited the whole organization. Yeah. And that's a good point. Like, I guess you say, yeah, you still had the clients. It doesn't matter. They weren't hiring as much. I mean, when did that start? to pick up? I mean, do, do you remember like kind of when that happened or how long after kind of the recession hit where you really noticed like, yeah, clients are hiring, I mean, hiring more people again and getting more business. Like how long did that take? You know, it probably was about 2012 and I'm like, okay, I could take a breath, that kind of stuff. <laughs> um, but it probably took a couple more years, like 2014 to 15 to really see things going. 2015, definitely things were rolling. People were hiring more, uh, you know, just our revenue per client was higher and things like that. Uh, but it took some time. And usually we could tell, like we do a lot of placement um, company background investigations. And sometimes when people are coming out of a recession, they'll use a placement company and, and hire temp to perm. So we saw our placement company business increase and then proportionately the rest of the business increased like three months later. Nice. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. And, and with the, with the company. So as you, if you can, you've moved forward here, I know I've mentioned some resources and learning and everything. And I know you mentioned to me a class you took in summer at Harvard. What was that? how did you hear about it? Can you talk a little bit about that experience? Sure. Sure. It was great. It was Linda Applegate and she, um, is a big proponent of the women president's organization and the women president's organization. I joined probably about seven, eight years ago now. Um, So together they put this program together for women entrepreneurs and it was about growing your business and it was for high growth businesses. And it was just a great um, week long session, you know, at the Harvard alumni club and uh, the, the, contacts we made with the other people from around the world. The, there were three different Harvard professors, um, and they also did a case study and brought the people in involved in that business and stuff. So it's just a great program and, and uh, just a neat experience. Yeah. And with, with that, with that program, I know, I think it was something that you mentioned to me after that. Um, was it sales related or something? Like what was the biggest like takeaway or what, like, what did you get from that? From that experience, because I imagine there's a lot of different things, but um, was there one, one, or th- one or two things maybe that stood out to you from that experience? 
you know, everybody's journey is different and just all the different women and all their different takes on the different um, cases presented and the different, you know, the Harvard loves the two by two matrix and stuff like that. Um, and everybody's different opinions and takes on that. Yeah. And with, with commercial investigations, I know you eventually started tick enemy, I believe is the name of it. Correct. Correct. Uh, correct. Yeah. What, what, tell me more about things. I don't really know much about that part of it. Uh, I'm wondering like, how that got started exactly. Sure, sure. Um, well, back in 2012, I contracted Lyme disease, wasn't diagnosed and treated properly until 2014. So doing a lot of research and just learning a lot of things about, you know, ticks and Lyme. And it led me to some research involving essential oils. And I'm like, if I can prevent other people from having to suffer like I've suffered with this Lyme disease, I'm going to do it. And so I did some research on effective. Uh, so it, they classified it as a pesticide after I hit market with it um, and put together an essential oil and water based component and um, gave it to my friends and relatives. And we just used it as a homemade thing. And then people are like, well, why aren't you putting this on the market? Why aren't you doing something with this? And I'm like, well, I guess I could do that. So then it was about um, that. I, I put the formula out for testing in 2013, 14, 15, somewhere in there. And then in 2016, I actually formed the company. Okay. Um, and and, and tell, me tell, you, tell me more. <laughs> I want to know more so about the company. Yeah. The most challenging thing was getting a URL. And I wanted, <laughs> I know, I know. I wanted a URL that was the name of the product. Yeah. You know, and, um, you know, so Tick Enemy is what it is. And I love the name. Uh, just, it took me like almost three days of like thinking and like searching all kinds of different things to really come up with something. Um, but, you know, so that was probably the most challenging thing. Um, <laughs> it's, it's funny you mentioned that because I've been through, I probably owned over the course of my career, maybe like 15 different domain names um, for different business ideas and the process <laughs> for looking up what's available and trying to combine different words or like, do you create new words do you do whatever it's just it can be very frustrating and do, do you do you um if you can't get the dot com do you still buy it with all these other extensions out there i mean i would say that typically i've tried to get the dot com i think i've had a couple dot nets before and even now like in like there's different like dot like io or dot co um that people try to do or they do they add hyphens and stuff which i'm not necessarily a huge fan of um how have you approached it? Um, you know, we buy the .com, and I don't think we've ever bought one we couldn't get the .com for. So that's our main objective. Now, on some of our really um, innovative products and services, we've got like the .net and a few of the other ones with the same name or slight variations. We'll buy um, like common typing errors and things like that on just a couple because yeah. I think I probably own upwards of 40. But, you know, you're a lot <laughs> younger than I am to own 15 already. I got some time to own more. I'm sure I'll have many more. Don't worry, Michelle. <laughs> I'll check be, in with you regularly on that. Yeah, exactly. Let me know. And I, I've definitely, you know, I've, I, on one occasion have I paid for a domain. And the reason I paid for it is because it was my name. Um, and that was something where I wanted my own name as a domain. Um, I don't have a ton on 
justingordon.com right now. And I've at times I've debated what to do with it. Um, when I bought it, it was because I was debating like an advertising agency, which I still may eventually do, but, um, had to pay for that one monthly payments for a few months, but I figured it was an investment that was worth it. Um, first time ever doing that type of thing though. And it was, yeah, hesitant at first to be like, oh, I'm going to buy a domain from someone else. Do I really need it that bad? Like, you know, but it, when it's your name, I've, I kind of valued it a yeah. bit higher. So, so I paid for it. I, I think you made a good move there. I bought my name shortly after starting the company. And just the other day, my finance person's looking at all these URLs and stuff. She's like, why do you own your name? Do you have anything tied to it? And I'm like, you know, I don't know. I don't, I think it might be tied to commercial investigations landing page or maybe nowhere, <laughs> but you know, again, yeah, I wanted to have that just in case. Yeah, exactly. Just in case, it's like a fail safe. And even like, there's a whole, so even when I was in college, one of my friends like flipped domain names. So he, I think he flipped maybe one or two, but he bought a bunch of them that he thought, oh, maybe someone wants us one day. I don't remember how much he made off of it, but it's definitely, a, it's for sure a, a business that people do. I'm sure it's larger companies based on what I've seen that buy a whole bunch of domain names and then they sell them for different amounts. I know one of the companies that I have their software that was Sumo Me and they bought Sumo for a million dollars, which is just like, you think about it, someone bought this domain name at some point for a few bucks, knowing that eventually it's going to be, you know, worthwhile or whatever. And then they get a million dollars for it. It's just crazy. That's crazy. Yeah. That's, I, I wonder what the percentage of that is versus winning the lottery. <laughs> yeah. I mean, with all the different options for domains and then there's different, like, it's like dot blog. There's more and more like domain extensions so that you can get a lot of different ones now. So it's like, it's gotta be tough. I, I assume. And like those, those one word domains or like even like some basic two word domains uh, are so rare now. So it's like, how would you even choose? You'd have to pay for so many, but I mean, I guess it's not technically that much money per month to keep it. So it could be worthwhile potentially. I, I yeah, wanna... I've, I've hung on to quite a few and I've thought about selling a couple, but I'm not ready yet. <laughs> as long as you can pay for them still, you're like, well, I mean, you just never know with them, right? Mm-hmm, right. <laughs> with with Tick Enemy, you mentioned 2016 was when you started to actually sell it. What was that process? Was it just through a website, the website you had created for it? Or what was that like? So we had uh, given away a lot, and then um, the website, the social media leading to the website uh, led to a lot of good sales. Um, we had some people who offered it like in golf pro shops or um, health and wellness um, centers and stuff like that, uh, health food stores as well. So we approached a few local businesses, and they started carrying it, as well as then the online sales. Okay. And how has that grown since the since 2016? So it's it's been good. We had a bump in the road and had to uh, reformulate and uh, worked with the FDA and the New York State Department of Environmental Conservation and tweaked the formula some to because they classified it as a pesticide. Um, so we had a little bit of a blip there in the middle, but we had some really good traction and now we're getting that traction back. Um, I'm really looking forward to next month. Next month uh, is a lot of the time when businesses like grocery stores and stuff will buy their merchandise, which they'll start putting on the shelves in spring. Uh, so our big sales period is actually December, January. Nice. So that, that, yeah. So a big bump potentially for you guys coming up basically. Mm-hmm. With, yep. with that, I was just curious too, like uh, even before, like in the beginning of that process, like what, what are you going to learn to create this new product? Like that is so cool to me to have a whole new product, like a formula, like what, how did, how did you even figure that out? 
you know, I got a chemistry set when I was 10 and I voice like chemistry and different things. And I'm a researcher with the pre-law and stuff like that. And I just dug into the essential oils and the combination and my objective, like you can throw a lot of different essential oils together to do different things. But my objective was to have something nice smelling. And that's the biggest differentiator. People smell. So we'll go to like, we'll do little um, pop-up like community sales and stuff like that. Or there's a lime run. We'll go and have a booth there and we'll have samples. And people just love how it smells. <laughs> yeah, so. a differentiator. I always need that in a business. How did you even think of that then? You just you just knew you wanted to have something that smelled good? Like, I don't, like where does that come from? You just, I'm curious. You know, I... So I'm, I'm a golfer. So I would pick them up wherever I saw them and I go to the health food store. So I bought competitive products and I'm like, you know, is this something I want to do? And there weren't too many back, back then. Nowadays, there's quite a few, but you just smell them. And I'm like, oh my God, they smell awful. So it was <laughs> like, if I can create something effective that smells good, you know, it's, it's like you said, it's a differentiator, but I'm like, the market's going to swing that way because People just don't like those bad smelling, you know, like you smells like you put on a pesticide. Yeah, it just, it just smells toxic on you. You're like, this can't be good. This just yeah. can't be good. And then, and to that point, it's one of those things where like you've seen so many businesses that are created out of people having a need for themselves. So obviously, you had a need for that, and then knowing like what you wanted, and then you created that thing that you wanted, and think thought that other people might like the same. And obviously, it's been it's been working out. It seems like. Um, Something we touched on earlier, with I just had to go back to it, uh, commercial investigations. I thought of it now. Um, as you've grown, so you've been around almost 15 years, and it's it's changed from, I'm sure, early on to now. How has like social media and all of that impacted how you do business and how you grow? Like, Are you leveraging that to grow? And like you mentioned you know, having to research so much, but how, does, how has social media changed like, your business? Okay. I think it's helped us with our relationships with our clients. Our clients are the people who follow us on Facebook more often than the non-clients. And they love keeping up with some of the things we're doing as a company or for charity or different things like that. Um, so I think that that's really been beneficial. Yeah. So maintain that relationship with clients through social media, basically. Mm -hmm. Not, not yep. as much on getting clients through, through social or how does that been? You know, I think our website and just search, just Google search has really been more beneficial. Okay. People searching and finding you just, just organically. Mm-hmm. Yes. content on the site about, about that? I know you mentioned the newsletter, but I'm just curious on the site itself. We do have a blog. So we used to have a WordPress blog that was separate, and I still have my personal WordPress blog. But through the website, we created a blog, and then we also have the newsletter on there. So that kind of helps a lot. And what it does is just it makes that many more words searchable to the search engines. Yeah, and that's right. As soon as you said you had a blog separate, I was like, oh, that's not necessarily the greatest because you can cross-link, but then also it helps for, yeah, for SEO, search engine optimization to have it on your own site. And that was how... When actually I had just go fitness, that was how I got so much traffic to the site. And I eventually figured a few different things out. But one was like if you made a couple of articles and pages around like in-home training in Milwaukee, I got people to come to the site that were looking for an in-home trainer because I ranked on Google. And then oh. even when I, I kind of just tested it in Vegas, I was like just curious. I didn't end up doing any in-home fitness training in Vegas. But when I was there, I did make a page for like Las Vegas in-home personal training. And I was like surprised when I would – 
I get a few people contact me about in-home training. I'm like, wait, what? I'm like, oh, I made the page on, I forgot about that. And you'd be surprised. So definitely the content side of things that, that can help. And that's actually too, how I got so much uh, traffic to just go fitness. And then even today where I haven't really written an article in a while on just go fitness, it's still getting five or 6,000 visitors a month from that. Which is crazy. Oh, that's great. That is crazy. That's great. Yeah. And that was, that was like writing a few different articles on purpose to try to rank. And there's a whole, there's a whole process for that, but essentially, you know, doing some research, uh, it starts with doing some research and then writing an article for that. And typically longer articles rank better in Google. I think there's like a, a graphic I saw one time with different stats and it was saying the average, like one to top, like one to three positions in Google for an article tends to be about 2000 words. Um, so those longer in-depth articles do better. And I did some of those for just go fitness on purpose to try to get those to rank and got a few of them to rank. So it's one of those things that's kind of like a numbers game. If you can do the, the, the research ahead of time and do that, you'll, you'll, you'll be good. So I wonder even like in your business, if people are searching specific things that would, they would find you even more with a couple of those articles, just always have ideas, of course. <laughs> you know, I'm jotting that down right now because I'm wondering, you know, how many words is our average? And I'm sure it's not 2000, but it wouldn't take much to create a couple 2000 word articles. Yeah. yeah. And actually like, I'll have to walk you through after that, after the call. Cause there's a couple other things. I, I would just say this, anyone listening, um, if you want to have a better key, like, yeah, essentially SEO, uh, one is the longer articles, the 2000 words, like I mentioned, you can use different tools, um, like BuzzSumo to see what gets shared. And then you can also do research in a Google. If you do Google ads and a Google ad account, there's keyword tool, which will just show you how many different searches there are for different terms. So like if you have a term you put in there and like, you can see the amount of searches per month for it, that's helpful to see traffic. And it also tells you like how competitive different words are. Um, and then what you can do is you can use that information and also do using Google search console on your website. You can see what you already rank for, what keywords and how high you rank for different things and see which ones you could do better on. And so there's a bunch of stuff with that, but that is a way to get more traffic to your site. And that's what I did for Just Go Fitness. And like I said, I got a few of those to rank. And I'll, be, I'll give you an example. One of them was like, I noticed I did like some celebrity workout things and I would just research them and like pull together different resources on there and did it with like Bradley Cooper's workout, uh, 300 workout for the movie 300. Bradley Cooper and American Sniper, that was another one I did. And then so a couple other ones. And like they definitely for a while ranked like first page on Google. And I think one of the times I got it was like to rank higher than like men's health and men's fitness. Kind of crazy. Um, but wow, that's great. Yeah, it's just a whole it's a whole process. And then you just keep putting out more and more and um, happy to talk more about that uh, after the call as well. Um, one thing I want to get into too, though, so you, I, you mentioned the differences between, you know, early on with, with uh, criminal investigations and, and later on, like, I'm wondering how you have worked has changed over time. So like compare like you, early on as a business owner to now in terms of maybe like number of hours worked and how that has evolved over time. Cause I'm sure it potentially has changed in some capacity. <laughs> mm -hmm. Oh Yeah. In the beginning, I mean, it probably was 70, 80 hours a week. It was, you know, the networking out of the house. I mean, you know, during the week, I can count on one one hand how many meals I ate at home between breakfast, lunch, and dinner because we're always out networking and everything. So um, now I'm looking at probably 50 to 60. You okay. know, um, can't can't seem to get it under 40. Um, <laughs> but, you know, 50 to 60. So it's definitely less and um 
you know, more people, more people doing things, less specific things I have to do. Yeah. And is that, I mean, I'm just curious and I'm always on a standpoint of like curious on when people work and how they work. Is it like Monday through Friday? Do you turn it off at certain points in the day? Is it like, do you work every day, but it just depends on what has, what's going on? Um, how do you approach your week in that capacity? You know, I, I work every day and I've tried to take one day a week off and sometimes I'm successful with that and sometimes I'm not. Um, but I enjoy it. And, you know, you work on different things depending if your colleagues are in the office, if it's business hours or if you're in the office or if you're out of the office or, you know, if it's the weekend, then you can get into the projects more so than during the week and stuff. So I find it beneficial. Um, I would like to work less and I do have a plan and, uh, you know, hopefully I can get there in the next couple of years uh, but it's, it's that discipline too. Yeah. And to that point, if you don't mind sharing, like, what is that kind of plan to work less or how is that going to go? Or how, what do you, how do you foresee that going? If you don't mind sharing. Well, I'd like to be accountable to the office three days a week and I'd like to get my hours under 40. Okay. So I still would work the weekends and stuff like that, but have, you know, two days during the week where I'm totally disconnected from the office. Um, you know, not consecutive days. It would be Wednesdays and Fridays is what I'm going to try. Okay, I got you. And and to that point, like moving forward with CI, what is like what's your plan for CI? What do you what do you hope for it to, you know, continue to go into? Like what what are your thoughts on that future? Sure. Um so one of the goals uh since the beginning pretty much has been and it's also one of our values uh to create opportunities for our colleagues. So, you know, that's my objective is uh, to create opportunities. So the way I think that that works is really to grow the business because then you're bringing more people in so you can hire more. So it's opportunities for them, but then there's opportunities for promotion for the people already there. So it really comes down to growth to fuel that desire to provide opportunities for individuals. Yeah. So continue to grow in that way. You know, if you, I'm, I'm just, we're almost a couple more questions I have for you here. Um, one of them is just kind of a, I'm just from a curious perspective. If you didn't have CI, if you didn't have Tick Enemy, what other business would you start or what other thing would you be doing, I guess, for your career? If you... That's a good question. Um, you know, I like uh, like housing layout, not necessarily architecture, so to say, but um, and not necessarily interior design. And I don't think I want to be a realtor, but I'm like, I'm just always intrigued at how houses are laid out and the functionality and stuff with them. So maybe some type of a designer or something like that. Yeah. And I, uh, yeah, I've actually used to have a very big interest in like architecture as well. I don't know when that changed. I think I was still pretty young when that, when that evolved. And like, I guess I got way more into fitness and once I was playing sports more, that type of thing. But yeah, I remember having that same type of interest in like, yeah, well, how are you? I used to play the Sims, for instance, and for hours and like design the, the house and buildings or whatever, and just build mm -hmm. build houses and not even like play the game per se and simulate just like, oh, I just want to make make the actual building. And then I would like use cheat codes to get more money and then make more buildings and, and that type of thing as well. Oh, so. I would play around with that a little bit too, but I'm a little older than you and, and I'm a huge SimCity fan. Ah, uh, yes. Also really good though. SimCity was great. <laughs> right, right. And, you know, I think I mentioned when I went for my MBA, we did a simulator. So this is years ago. So it was a really, you had to load it on a floppy disk and upload it every week. The um, professor would and stuff. It wasn't like there was no internet and stuff like that. But the simulation was so interesting. And then um, about that time too was SimCity. And it's just like, you know, it's interesting. And I think 
you know, some days I'm like, well, I play sim business every day, but I'm like, well, it's not really simulating. I'm like, this is real dollars. Well, I've, I've also said that same type of with, to that point, like if, if I had to play a game, uh, playing the game of business and like, oh, here you have to like create a company or whatever. Like I would play that video game. And so like to the point of like being interested in business, like that's, I think completely applicable. If you would play it anyways and you're off time or whatever, then obviously it's something you probably should be doing. So I very much enjoy all the things of figuring out, you know, business and entrepreneurship and trying to learn new things and you can create new things and, and everything with that. And kind of one thing I want to know too, like if you have any advice for uh, aspiring entrepreneurs, people who are considering starting their own their own company, you know, whether it either be on the side to get started with or jumping in full time as you did, is there anything you'd you'd mention to someone kind of considering entrepreneurship or considering eventually starting a company? You know, people ask me, well, how did you decide to start your own company and things like that? And one of the things I say to people who may be thinking about it themselves, I'm like, if you've thought about being an entrepreneur, you should be an entrepreneur. If you haven't thought about being an entrepreneur, but you happen to be technically really good at something, you shouldn't be an entrepreneur. So just the fact that somebody's thought about that, because, you know, for those of us that have thought about that for a long time, you know, not everybody's like us. So, I mean, if you have that thought, it, it's just a great adventure to embark upon. Yeah. So if you're interested, just pursue it and, and do something with it, essentially. Mm-hmm. You know, and it's interesting. There's so many people who like, they want to own a business, but they're not sure what. And, you know, I kind of was like that. I was kind of like, oh, it would be kind of cool someday and everything. And I never put together like all my experiences and stuff like that and thinking about this, um, you know, till obviously when I did it and stuff, but just interesting. Yeah. I mean, and when you did it, like, were you, was there some, was there some fear with that? Like when you eventually decided to, were you, like, how long did you think about it before you actually did it? Because I know people think about it all the time, like starting businesses and some people wait, some people do it. But do you remember the timeline? Like when you thought like, oh, I might want to, to be like, I'm, I'm doing it. And do you remember it that? probably was about six months only for me. And it was really driven by my brother, Travis. Yeah. It's like, do it for yourself. <laughs> how did that happen? How did he push you into that? Well, you know, so I was uh, working for the Healthcare Association of New York State. I was running their program, doing background investigations, you know, brought the knowledge from previous employer, got it up and running. And then it was like, um, you know, I had limitations because it was a healthcare entity, nonprofit. And I was frustrated with a few things and really wanted to, um, you know, go in a different direction type thing. And Travis is like, we, you know how to do this. You've been doing it. Just go and do it for yourself. Why are you doing it for somebody else? Yes, that's the exact thing. If you can do it for yourself, why Why not? Why not try? And if you fail, you can always go back to a job, right? Um, exactly. Jobs are going to be there in some capacity, especially if you have skills and you're talented. If you do start something, it's not the end, especially like depending on if you burn any bridges or not, if you can maintain relationships as well and you know have a smooth exit, let's just say. Uh, even if you don't, there's still other jobs available and they, those relationships will, will come in handy as you move forward in your career. So it's never like a completely closed door and if you do try to become an entrepreneur you can always go back which is something i've thought about with the mba whole this whole mba thing is like if i go full-time into my own thing at least try to if it doesn't work out i'll have an mba i can get a job somewhere it's not a, it's not a big deal exactly it, nobody can ever take away your education exactly and w- w- one big last question i always ask people and ask you as well michelle what do you think makes for a great career accomplishments, knowing that you're doing something, 
you know, a, beyond yourself, you know, something with a cause, um, with an air of fun to it. Mm-hmm. You got to have some fun. Yeah, I think that's important as well, more than just work. Our <laughs> work can yes. be fun, I guess. It doesn't have to necessarily be mutually exclusive. Exactly. Where can people learn more about you, your company, what you guys are up to? Sure. So our URL is commercialinvestigationsllc.com. You got to have that LLC in there. <laughs> um, so that's a lot more about commercial investigations. Tick Enemy is tickenemy.com. Um, I have no idea, like I said earlier, what michelle.pion.com goes to. Um, <laughs> but all my uh, contact information is there as well. I'm on most of the social media, Facebook, LinkedIn, Twitter, as well as the company has sites on there as well. Awesome. I will link to all that in the show notes at justcogrind.com slash podcast. And you can click on uh, Michelle's episode and we'll link to all of that, uh, especially any, if any business owners and you need help with that, whatever it may be, if you're interested, we'll link to all of that. Michelle, thank you so much for coming on the show today. Thank you, Justin. It was great. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Just Go Grind. As always, the show notes are over at justgogrind.com slash podcast. And you can support the show over at patreon.com slash justgogrind. And please, please leave a rating and review over on iTunes. It does help more people find the show. Hope you enjoyed this episode. Have a great day.